Guys, it's your boy DJ Scanless here, and we're back with another episode of Scanless Talk. For this one, we're going to break down some news that De La Soul, the legendary rap group, passed on signing Tupac Shakur back in the early 90s. Let's get it. Alright, so we're on the O4L online network, and the title reads, Layla Steinberg believed in Tupac when De La Soul did not. And if you guys didn't know, Layla Steinberg was actually Tupac's teacher, I believe back in the Baltimore School of Arts, it was a poetry class, and she became his first manager, and later on got him signed by Atron Gregory which led to Digital Underground, as well as other artists such as Stretch. Alright, so the article goes on to say, Tupac's close friend and former personal assistant, Kendrick Wells, talks to Cam Capone News on YouTube about De La Soul passing up the chance to sign Tupac after he auditioned for them. He also talks about their early involvement involving Layla Steinberg and Atron Gregory. Kendrick will go on to explain how he met Tupac and the origins of his battle rap days. While in Marin City, before Superstardom, Tupac was known as MC New York, Kendrick also explained Pac was the best and the content of his raps was different from others. Which I would agree. I would believe like his raps in the early 80s was kind of like Ella Cool J mixed with a little Big Daddy Kane. He kind of had a little Rock Kim essence to him as well. His beats were very much of that time period in the 80s and you can hear this on Two Octa Lost Tapes which came out around 2006-2007. But even back then he was more about engaging his audience as well as giving them a story. And really the roots of Tupac's activism really started back in 1986-1987 when he was at the Baltimore School of Arts in Marin City taking poetry classes, learned about Machiavelli, the art of war. And you can see this on his 1986-1987 songs that he recorded on a tape recorder that has yet to be released. There's a song on there called Babies Having Babies. And that was really the precursor to what became Brenda's Got a Baby after Tupac read about the story in a newspaper. Which is kind of crazy because Lil Half Dead came out and said that Tupac stole the idea of Brenda's Got a Baby from him, even though Babies Having Babies was recorded about four years prior to anyone even knowing who Tupac was. Alright, let's scroll down here to when he actually met De La Soul. It says eventually Tupac met Layla Steinberg and started hanging out with her. In turn, she showed him how to present himself more professionally as an artist. Kendrick told a story of how Tupac and Layla took a trip to a show in San Jose where they met De La Soul and Def Jeff. It was here that the young Tupac auditioned for them in the hotel room. Describing this moment, Kendrick says, He spit these great raps and they were like, okay, okay, and kind of ignored him. They had a chance to sign a guy, but Layla still believed in him. Reflecting on the audition, Kendrick believed that they were going through the motions of pretending to listen. He added that they had Tupac Shakur in a hotel room performing for them and they didn't sign him. Maybe one day they'll see one of these interviews and realize they had Tupac, they probably didn't even know. Which is kind of crazy because... We also heard about the same type of incident happening with Fat Joe and Eminem. And Fat Joe really brushed Eminem off like he wasn't going to be nothing, probably because he was a white rapper. White rappers weren't really significant back then. You have Vanilla Ice, but he was really a one-hit wonder. Marky Mark was pretty much a one-hit wonder as well. There was really no one in the rap game that was Caucasian, which was the big mainstream top-selling artist that had album after album that either went gold or platinum. So Eminem kind of took the ball and ran with it and gave rise to all these white rappers that you see today. So I can see why Fat Joe passed on Eminem, but why De La Soul passed on Tupac is kind of crazy. I guess we'll never know the real reason. But back then, Tupac wasn't as... He didn't have that gangster image that we all see now. He was just a young kid coming out of high school. and still had those activist roots, the Black Panthers and everything else. You can check out Tupac Lost Tapes. He has songs on there called A Day in Life and Let Knowledge Drop. And these are still songs that are lyrical, storytelling, and it's mostly about his life or events that he's seen around him as well. So it's kind of crazy that he was around 17 and 18 years old around this time period. And he still had that mindset infused with his music. 
Then they went on to say that Layla, she put Tupac in contact with Atron Gregory, the manager of Digital Underground, which is Shock G and Money B. And from there, Atron allowed Tupac around the studio to go watch Shock G and Digital Underground work. The experience led him to become a roadie, which yeah, this led to him actually dancing with Blow Up Dolls and being a backup dancer, but eventually led also to him opening shows for Digital Underground, as well as recording a verse for the hit song, Same Song. So the interesting facts about De La Soul and Tupac, Tupac actually gave praise to De La Soul on the song Old School, which came out on his Me Against the World album in 1995. So it's kind of crazy that Tupac didn't hold a grudge against De La Soul and didn't even start dissing them on Strictly or Thug Life or anything like that. He just let it go and he gave praise to not only De La Soul, but other rappers in the 80s that influenced him, such as LL Cool J, Rakim. And then obviously, you know, he got shot, went to prison, came out, started dissing Biggie, and that's when a whole bunch of East Coast rappers started jumping back on Tupac and dissing him. And then you had LL Cool J doing his remix of Who Shot Ya, which made Tupac actually diss LL Cool J and Little Homies, not really a song He vs. She. Now, Urban Legend has it that Tupac actually got wind of Dale Soul incorporating a lookalike of Tupac in their music video, as well as the backdrop that looks similar to I Get Around. And mostly, Tupac took this as a diss, due to the overall message of the song as well. And they tried to debunk this saying that it was just a misunderstanding and it just meant that rappers were taking things too seriously in rap business. So then around July and August of 1996 when Tupac was recording the Machiavelli album, he actually made a song called Watch Your Mouth, which not only disses Dr. Dre and Nas, but also disses De La Soul. And it was clear shots against their album saying me, myself and I, and they're still six feet deep. And this song is still unreleased today as a three verse solo from that time period. As overall diss track similar to Against All Odds and Hit Em Up. Alright guys, so I know you guys already know that I already did two videos about this. One on my DJ Skinless page and another on my Skinless Talk page here. And that was really just detailing as to why Hasbro, the toy company, bought out Death Row Records and how. And that was because they bought out the Entertainment One, the parent company of Death Row Records. And it just so happened that Death Row Records was actually a part of that. But mostly they bought it out because they were really wanting to buy out Entertainment One, which owned very kid-friendly type content and cartoons to go along with your Hasbro toys. It just so happened that Death Row Records was a part of that because Entertainment One actually purchased Death Row Records through Wide Awake, which Wide Awake also purchased Death Row Records back in around 2008-2009 from Bankruptcy Court. And if you are familiar with Entertainment One, the music label, they actually put out albums for the game, and that's mostly the only artist that they really put out for. They don't really release any new Death Row material. And I don't really think that would change. I think mostly Hasbro is just going to get all the royalties from Death Row Records and not really put out anything. And I don't really think we'll see any Death Row toys, even though that would be great to see. Anyways, we got this article here on Genius.com covering the overall topic here at hand. The title reads, Toy Company Hasbro Finalizes Ownership of Death Row Records. And this goes on to say that the toy company Hasbro announced via press release that it now officially owns Death Row Records. The label associated with West Coast Gangs Rap, which had albums by Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and Tupac. And this was a $3.8 billion merger which places the Canadian studio Entertainment One company under Hasbro. Entertainment One purchased Death Row's catalog back in 2013. Some articles saying it was around $280 million, $300 million, but I believe they actually only bought it for $18 million, but I'm not too positive about that. The deal centered on Hasbro's acquisition of the child programming from Entertainment One like Peppa Pig and PJ Masks, as well as Nickelodeon's Ricky Zoom. And this also talks about Ray J. I have a couple of videos on Shook Knight and Ray J. 
where Suge Knight basically gave movie rights and music rights to Ray J. However, Suge Knight doesn't really own any of the Death Row catalog, so I wasn't too sure what he actually meant by that. I guess Ray J thinks that he can release Death Row music, but the only people that can actually do that is Hasbro. As for the Tubox stuff, the Tubox stuff was awarded to the Tubox estate, so not even Hasbro can even release the Death Row era Tubox content, unless it's re-releases of All Eyes on Me Machiavelli and gang-related and gridlock soundtracks. So like I said guys, I think the main reason as to why Hasbro is keeping Death Row records is basically just get royalties off the music that was recorded during that time period. I don't think they're going to release anything else. It would be great to see a new Danny Boy, The Realist Album, Val Young, Jewel, but would that get any type of sales or streaming? It's hard to say. I think that would be only beneficial if they would actually use that to beef up their YouTube channels. I think that might be a great route to actually go with that, as well as producing new Death Row merchandise. And not only clothes, you could actually do toys, but I think for the most part they would have to get licenses agreement with Suge Knight, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, and the Tubac Estate to actually use their likeness. But something cool like a Tubac Monopoly or Tubac action figures or Death Row era action figures would be amazing to see. Also guys, we've got another article here that actually coincides with what I'm talking about here. Even though we might not get Tupac Hasbro toys, there's actually some Tupac Funko Pops, which now are online. And this is the article on comicbook.com. It says Funko has a tendency to stick to the theme of random periods of times. So when Funko released the Ice Cube Pop, the Ice Cube 1964 Chevy Impala Pop ride earlier this month, we were hoping that more legendary rappers will follow suit. The first and only Tupac Shakur Funko Pop was released in 2013 and commands extremely high prices these days. So this is the Funko Pop that was released in 2013. And you'll see here, this probably was only around $10, $20 max. And now they're selling it for $150, $399. I've seen this on several other shopping sites and eBay a couple years ago, commanded upwards of $500. So now you're going to get the new bandana and vest version, which you can pre-order right now for $10.99, and that will be released in February. You can also get the Thug Life overalls version, which is the FYE exclusive, but for whatever reason you can't really pre-order that right now. So this is what the main one looks like right now that you can actually pre-order, and this is the Tupac vest and bandana pop. So it's only $10.99, so you figure if you can get a couple of these, you can probably resell a couple of them and maybe three or four or five years down the road for $300 a piece. They also have some cool other ones. You still get the Ice Cube Chevy Impala one, which is awesome because that looks like the Today Was a Good Day music video version. You also got a Biggie Smalls here, which you can't really tell how it looks like because it just looks like a cartoon version of what the Funko Pop will look like. But that doesn't release until February 15th as well. And you also have another Ice Cube version here. But you can't really tell what era that it is. That might be Gangster Rap, maybe Do It era. I'm not too sure. Alright guys, so drop your comments below how you feel about Hasbro actually finalizing their deal to buy out Entertainment One, which owned Death Row Records. And whether or not you think they'll release new music, maybe even partner with the Tupac Estate to release new versions of the All Eyes On Me songs, Machiavelli songs, and the gang-related and gridlock soundtrack songs, which I think they should include those songs on a new Tupac album because they're often overlooked. And also, maybe they could partner with them to release new toys and Funko Pops as well. Also, drop your comments below if you may actually go out and buy a Funko Pop. Alright guys, that's it for today's video. This is DJ Scaling signing out. Peace out.